We turn together to number 510 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal, number 510, as we prepare to hear God's word tonight. Come ye disconsolate, where'er ye languish, come to the mercy seat, fervently kneel. Here bring your wounded hearts, here tell your anguish. Earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal. We're going to sing all three verses of 510. Let's stand together as we sing. Tonight, God's word comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to be reading just the first two verses of this chapter. First Peter 1, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. 
Well, tonight we are beginning a new uh, series of sermons as we will look together at this letter, the letter of 1 Peter. It is a wonderful book. It is a book of great encouragement. It is written to churches uh, going through times of hardship, through times of difficulty, and a wonderful reminder that even in these times, God is still the God who is in control. It is a book of encouragement. For them, it is a book of encouragement for us in the difficulties, in the trials that we face in life. It's a book of encouragement as well as a book of exhortation. There is in 1 Peter the call to holy living, the reminder that, that the church is to be distinct from the world. We are to live in a particular way that God might receive the glory. It is a book for our daily lives. Tonight, we're going to just begin our study of this book. I don't know exactly how many sermons I'm going to have on 1 Peter. I know that there is a lot in chapter 1, so we're going to spend a little time uh, together on chapter 1, and then we'll go through the rest of the book after that, uh, the message of 1 Peter. Well, who is the author of the book? Now, kids, you could say, well, Reverend Niemeyer, you don't have to go to seminary to learn that. Just, just read the first line. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's a book by Peter, by Simon Peter. Peter, who was a fisherman. Peter, who would be called not simply to be a fisherman, but to be a fisher of men. Peter, the, uh, the outspoken one of the disciples. Peter was often the first to speak. Peter was often the first to act. Peter was the one who, when he saw his Lord on the water, walks to him on the water. Peter, the impetuous. Peter, one of the inner three followers of Jesus. We know that Jesus called 12 disciples. But there were three who were kind of the inner circle. Peter and James and John. It, were, it was those who was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Peter not just a regular disciple, but one of the inner three. Peter, who was the confessor of Christ. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? It is Peter who answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, on that rock, on that firm confession, I will build my church. Peter who was the defender of his Lord. When they came to get Jesus, it was Peter who would take a sword and cut off the high priest's ear, a defender of Jesus Christ. Peter, the denier of the Lord, who three times would say when asked, I never knew the man. And yet Peter, who was 
after the resurrection, restored by Jesus. And Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? If so, then feed my sheep, care for my lambs. This is Peter, the one who who writes the letter. Peter, who was there at the Pentecost event. And when they were asking, what does this mean? What is going on? It is Peter who stands up and begins to give the explanation from Acts chapter 2. We read there, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And Peter goes on to preach that beautiful Pentecost sermon, showing how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. This is the one they have been waiting for. And when, when those who heard it were cut to the heart, they said to Peter, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter, the Pentecost preacher on that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter, who was the vision receiver? We talked about this not so long ago on Pentecost Sunday, when when, when Peter would receive a vision to, to instruct him and to teach him that God's mercy and God's grace was not only for the Jews. Peter, who was very meticulous in keeping the law, who'd never eaten anything unclean, and God shows him this big sheet and says, go ahead and eat, and Peter goes, oh no, Lord, I won't do that. And God teaches him, Don't call anything unclean, which I have called clean. And we saw how how that begins to resonate with him, and he, he learns that God's grace and God's mercy is for more than just the Jewish people. Even on the Gentiles, the Spirit would be given. Simon Peter identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned that Peter was a disciple, and he could have introduced himself that way, Peter, a disciple of Jesus Christ. But kids, a disciple means to be a learner, one who is being instructed. Peter doesn't identify himself that way. He identifies himself as an apostle. An apostle is one who has learned and is now being sent to teach others. An apostle. An apostle comes and speaks with the authority of the one who sent him. In in many ways, like an ambassador today, when an ambassador speaks, he speaks with the authority of the sender. Peter, an apostle, of Jesus Christ. He comes and will speak with the authority of Jesus himself as he is going to encourage this church and as he is going to give them exhortations. He is a man who is sent from God. Now, we know that we no longer have apostles today. 
apostles were for the foundational time of the New Testament church. Before, before the canon of Scripture was completed, apostles sent to declare the Word of God. We have the privilege of living after the canon has been closed. The Word of God is clearly codified for us. And so there's no need for apostles once again today. But, but Peter comes at this point. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Someone who knew Jesus. Someone who had been taught by Jesus. And now someone who is being sent by Jesus. That's, that's the one who brings this message. Who is the message for? Well, once again, our text is very clear to us. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those places we would probably call them today basically Asia Minor. The church is scattered in Asia Minor. He addresses the letter to the elect, to those chosen by God, to those who knew God's electing love. This is, this is the reminder that he gives them in times of trouble. You are known by God. You are chosen by God. The elect although those who are currently undergoing difficulties, undergoing hardships. The book of 1 Peter really is a, a corrective to, to uh, churches or preachers today who would say, when you believe in Jesus Christ, everything in your life goes better. Just believe in Jesus and all your problems go away. 1 Peter is a testimony against that false teaching. In fact, in every chapter of the book, there are reminders that Christians will go through suffering. In chapter 1, verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It was a church going through trial. In chapter 2, verse 20, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Again, in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 13, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. In your hearts, honor Christ Jesus the Lord. There will be suffering. There will be trial. And in fact, chapter 4, even clearer. Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised when the trial comes. 
Don't be surprised when you go through difficulties. Why do you think that's a surprise? God has never promised us that in this life, if we believe in him, everything will go easy for us. First Peter is a wonderful corrective to say, no, even in the life of Christians, difficulties will happen. And that last chapter as well, chapter 5, verse 9. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There is suffering going on in the church around the world. Even though they are, they are elect, even though they are loved by God, even though they are known by him, you should expect difficulties. Because even in that, Peter will say, God is still in control. He has not left you, but he goes through these things with you. To those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion. Exiles, uh, hard to get a real grasp of, of, of the, the flavor of the word he's trying to use here. A better word, uh, perhaps, would be the word sojourners or or foreigners or strangers, something like that. Exiles is kind of a negative context. It's, it's those who live in a land not their own. Those who are living in a land not their own. They are, they are strangers in the land. They are sojourners. They live there. They work there. But it's not really their home. That's the idea of the word here. Those who are elect exiles. Those who are living in a land not really their own. What's the relationship between the church and the world? It has been, it has been, that question's been dealt with differently throughout history. The relationship between the church and the world. Some have, historically, taken what we might call a world flight mentality. They flee from the world. They separate themselves as much as possible from the world. We think of that in the monastic movement. When the church really left the world, put up walls around itself in the monastery, and existed just for itself. World flight. There's a, there's a, a slightly lesser version of that, where those would, would simply try to ignore the world around them, ignore modern society and modern advancements. We see that in the Amish movement. Not, not really leaving the world, but not taking part in the world either. Of course, we've seen all too often the church simply being assimilated by the world taking in all that the world has to offer. And there's no longer any distinction between the church and the world. Peter, in this letter, will give a call to distinction, a call to holiness. He's not saying to be assimilated by the world. No, we have, we have historically used that phrase, we are to be in but not of the world. Yes, we live here. Yes, we work here. Yes, we exist here. But, but really, this is a temporary dwelling for us. We think of Abraham when he sojourned in Egypt. He lived there, he worked there, but that really wasn't where his home was. We don't reject the world. 
but we seek to be in it, but not of it. And, 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 and in it as a positive influence on the world. We are called elsewhere to be salt, to be light, to be a preservative, to be directive to the world around us. This is who Paul write, uh, Peter writes to, to the elect, exiles of the dispersion. And again, that, that, that word dispersion or the diaspora carries with it Old Testament context, uh, God's blessing upon his people, but they would be scattered now around the world. God, and, and God in his, in his providence uses that scattering itself to bring the church elsewhere, to bridge the church from being simply a, 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 a existing in Israel to now being dispersed around Asia Minor. Even that dispersion is under God's control, bringing the truth of the gospel to other lands. They are God's people, God's elect, elect exiles. Even in the dispersion, which seems like a, a difficulty for them, chosen by God, under the blessing of God, in the world, but not of the world. It is to these that Peter brings his message. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. It's a message according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Again, Peter is trying to encourage the church. And he does that by reminding them who they are. You are known by God. You are loved by God. And when you go through these difficulties, when you go through these hard times, you can have a sense of calm, you can have a sense of peace, because God is still in control. He doesn't say to them, look, you're having a hard time, you know what? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. He doesn't say to them, having a difficult time right now? Well, you better pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. No, he says, you are known according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You are those who are chosen in Him. And chosen not because of anything you did. Chosen simply for His own good pleasure. Not because God would foresee you would believe in Him. Not because God would see all the good works you would do. You were chosen simply because God chose you. And in that, you can rest. In that, you can have comfort. In that, you can have peace. And that, that same truth that was given to these elect exiles is given to us as well. We rest in the fact that we belong to God. We take comfort, we take peace in, in not reflecting on what we have done, but on what God has done. 
In his love and mercy, he chose us. And in times of trial, in times of difficulty, in times of suffering, which are to be expected, God knows us, and he has not forgotten us. He knows what we are going through. All things unfold according to his perfect foreknowledge. He's known us since eternity. He will certainly be with us in times of trial. We can be at peace because we are known according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It is to those elect exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now we saw in our uh, series on the tabernacle uh, that sanctification is used in two different ways. We saw that, if you think back, we saw that in the bronze altar and the basin for washing. We talked about these two different parts of sanctification. The bronze altar, the initial cleansing, and the basin, the ongoing cleansing. Peter says here, you are in the sanctification of the Spirit. That initial cleansing. You are those whom the Spirit has given new life to. You were those who were dead in transgressions and sins, and He gave you life. Uh, You have been sanctified, definitively sanctified. You belong to Him. What God has done for you, that initial cleansing done by the blood of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet there is the ongoing cleansing. The Spirit's ongoing work in our life to conform us more and more to the ways of God. So Peter is going to call them to holy living. Peter is going to give them ethical exhortations, what their lives should look like. Yes, they have been washed and cleansed by the Spirit, but now God continues to work in them by the Spirit, that they might live in a way that is pleasing to Him. The work of God in their lives, called in the sanctification of the Spirit. And those who are for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Those Christians who are for obedience. I think it's easy for us, particularly in the Calvinistic tradition, to downplay the importance of obedience in our lives. We we stress so much that we are saved without regard to anything we have done. We talked about that this morning. We are saved without regard to anything we have done, any good or any bad. We are saved wholly and completely by the work of Jesus Christ. Not what we have done, not the works of my hands. God has secured for us in Jesus Christ our place with Him in heaven forever. And so we say, well, then, then why bother to obey? Why bother to do anything good? Because getting to heaven is not the goal of the Christian. Getting to heaven is not the goal of our lives. That is a gift God has given to us. 
thankful obedience. That is the goal of our lives. Because of what God has done, because he has secured our eternity with him, therefore now we obey and we love to obey those who are for obedience to Jesus Christ, showing God our thankfulness for what he has done. And, and, and in that, retaining our distinctives in our lives as Christians so we don't look like the world. It should be evident we are in it, but not of it. We look different than those around us. To live a life to the glory of God. That we might in our lives demonstrate we have peace with God. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Again, here, Peter reaches back to the Old Testament, the imagery of sprinkling with blood. There are only three instances in the Old Testament where people are sprinkled with blood. There are other instances of, of things, uh, different things being sanctified, but people, only three times they are sprinkled with blood. We have that at Sinai at the initiation of God's covenant with his people. The covenant is read, and the people say, everything God says we will do, and they are sprinkled with blood. A picture of covenant initiation, of being brought into fellowship with God. We are for sprinkling. Brought into fellowship with him. When Aaron's sons are anointed as priests. When they are set apart for service, they are sprinkled with blood as a reminder that we too have been set apart by Jesus Christ for a purpose, to serve our God, to live in a way that brings glory to him. And, and in the Old Testament, in the cleansing of a leper for purification to be made clean, to be holy, to evidence that purification in our lives. We are those who, who are for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. This is who the letter is written to. This is the, are the churches of the dispersion. This is the church today. Elect, exiles, those according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctified by the Holy Spirit for obedience and sprinkling in Jesus Christ. This message, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in times of hardship, in times of trial, in times of struggle. May we know the peace of belonging to God. It was encouragement for them. It is encouragement for us as well. We have the same calling known by God the Father. We have the same encouragement. We are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We have the same blessing, obedience in Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. I'm excited to look at this book together in the next several weeks and months. The Word of God, practical, applicable, to everyday lives, helping us navigate this world in a way that brings glory to our God. Words of encouragement and words of exhortation. Let's join together in prayer.
O oh Lord our God, we do thank you for the beauty of your holy word, that it, it touches us where we live. We all go through times of hardship. We all go through times of trial and struggle. And what a wonderful reminder that even in those times, it is not outside of who you are and your perfect plan. You are the God who knows us, who has known us, who knows right now the trials, the difficulties we face in life. Thank you, O oh God, that you have not left us alone, but you have given us your Holy Spirit to teach us how we should live in a way that is pleasing to you, to teach us to follow after Jesus Christ, for there will be the path of blessing. Lord God, thank you for your word. Apply this word to our hearts and lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We turn together.